0: Good afternoon, everybody. It's 1248 on a Wednesday, and I'm just coming at you with my uh, weekly uh, podcast updates. Uh, To anybody catching this live, thank you so much for joining me. Please feel free to hit the share button if you're on YouTube, uh, Facebook, of course, if you're on uh, any, any of the Facebook platforms there. Feel free to go ahead and hit that share button, let people know Uh, We're out here as we're going to go through some great things about this session and inform individuals, and I think that's an important thing to share around. So please hit the share button. Additionally, as well, if you're catching this on replay, you can watch this in a podcast form. I upload this after I'm done. Sorry, listen to this in a podcast form. I upload it after I'm done, and you can catch that on Spotify or Apple or anything else. It's called Fresh Brewed Politics, Fresh B-R-E-W-E-D uh, politics um, and you can catch it there and as always if you want to show support you like what we're doing uh, you can always visit andrew the number four ky.com you can donate to the campaign there as well but please guys hit that share button as we start to dig into this shared in a couple of places if you wanted to and let's get started here so the session has started Uh, It's officially started. It's the longer session. Last year is a 30-day session. This is a 60-day session. That doesn't mean it literally lasts only 60 days. It'll last several months more than it'll last a little bit longer than that. It's just the amount of days that can actually go into session to vote, though it has to be wrapped up by the end of um, April, I do believe. So, and it's it's kind of an interesting time, right? So a lot of people. Uh, in politics here in Kentucky, especially get excited when it's first additional legislative time. Sometimes I'm kind of excited and most time I'm not because honestly they can hurt me while they're in session, right? They can change up the laws and they never seem to change them in our favor. They always typically seem to change them to the negative. And so it's kind of like I, I, I get to the end of session and I'm just like, I want it to end. This is awful. Everything they're doing is terrible. It's gross. It's disgusting. I hate it. I just want it to end. And that's how I get by the time I'm at every, uh, the end of every session. But regardless, it's kicked off. It's going starting. And they've got a few things on their plates today. This year, they've got, you know, of course, a budget that they're going to be doing. Um, and we'll be digging into that as they get into that. But they've redistricting. They're taking right off the top and and, and looking at that. And we will talk, uh, we'll talk about redistricting now. I was going to talk about later, I was going to talk about some bills right off the bat, but I'll talk about redistricting now. So for those of you who don't know, redistricting is done every 10 years after the census. And essentially it's done, it's supposed to be done constitutionally to ensure equal representation. So basically as populations shift and grow over 10 years, the uh, lines for their representatives, their state house reps or Congress, you know, uh, obviously Senate's done by state, but state senators and and everything else, those districts need to get redrawn. And it's always kind of a political process. It always is. And the party in power typically is redistricting them uh, in in a way to help them. Uh, 10 years ago, the Democrats did the House. I believe the Republicans had a slim majority in the Senate. And there might've been some deals cut there, but uh, this is the first time Republicans in the history of Kentucky have ever gotten to redistrict both chambers, the House and Senate, and as well as the congressional districts. And it is certainly uh, very interesting. There is a few constitutional requirements they have. the The state constitution and the federal government has some requirements. Uh, the state constitution requires uh, county integrity as much as possible, uh, meaning that we. Keep counties from being split up as, as much as we can. Try to keep counties together. Uh, additionally, as well, there is a constitutional uh, rule. I believe it comes down from the federal government. It's like a one-man, one-vote rule that requires equal, um, equal districts within plus or minus 5%. So uh, the census was taken. Kentucky had just over 4.5 million people. And we have a hundred state house reps, so that means each state house rep should have forty-five thousand people equal. Now they're allowed a margin of error, plus or minus five percent, so they can go as low as forty-two thousand five hundred people, or as high as forty-seven thousand five hundred people in each house race. Um, that is basically the only constitutional rules. I mean, you've got the the variations there but then also too as well you do have some other ways you can make constitutional arguments over the maps and without going too much into the state maps and in the state senates was introduced last night they uh, passed them out of committee today so they're headed to the floor i believe they may try to pass maps today um also as well it is believed that they will move the filing deadlines. The filing deadline deadline is normally, uh, I believe it would be January 7th here in two days. The word is they're extending that out to January 25th, so that way they can redistrict and people can file into those new maps. I can tell you there's a lot of people upset with the house maps. One is there is some belief that could be unconstitutional due to the population differences. We got to really take a look at that. But additionally as well, you have counties like Jesmond County is very upset. Jesmond County went from being mainly one house rep, that's Lockett, um, with a little bit of of it being held by Kim King, which I believe is the 55th. But anyways, um, I could be wrong, but and a little bit being held by Kim King and almost all of it being held by Lockett. And that was a Democrat district for a very long time. Lockett up until two years ago was the first person to flip that district from being Democrat. And he's been in for two years. Well, they took Jasmine County that now has became a Republican stronghold due to the work done by the party there. And they've split it up into four house districts. Now they've cut it up into four. Um, And so they're pretty upset about that. You've got Two Republicans out in eastern Kentucky, two sets of Republican incumbents are going to have to run against each other if they want to stay in office. Um, One out in Pikeville, they lost the 93rd district kind of out out near Hazard Pikeville area out in eastern Kentucky. The 93rd district under their new proposed redistricting map would land right in the middle of Fayette County. So the 93rd moved all the way from uh, eastern Kentucky right there at the Virginia line uh, to the middle of Lexington. And so that would cause two Republican incumbents are going to have to face off there. And then another district got moved around and to cause two re- Republican incumbents to face off there. In Jefferson County and Louisville, there's two Democrats uh, incumbents that are going to have to face off against each other under these maps um, and, a, and two sets of two Democrats. So That's four Democrats, two and two, facing off against each other, same as the Republicans. And obviously that might draw some lawsuits Some people might have some feelings about that as well. Um, I don't know how much they engage the Democrats in drawing these maps. I'm going to be honest. When I look at some of this data, precinct data, and I start looking and comparing, I mean, what they've done in a lot of areas like Jesmond County, like Fayette County, like Jefferson County, is they've taken some strong red districts on the outskirts and weakened them to a point where one could make an argument that on a good turnout year, on a blue wave good turnout year, Democrats could be flipping these seats Uh, blue from red almost so it's almost you know there's to a degree where if you're a democrat you might kind of want to let it flow through because those are pretty good maps that favor you You may not want to challenge them too much uh, as far as that goes the senate maps just kind of looking at they played some games there obviously you know i'm running for state senate um, and we'll go into more detail on that probably over the next couple of weeks as those maps become finalized we don't want to talk about it yet Uh, We let's see what happens with these maps. Let's see what kind of amendments get proposed as far as it goes with my race. So that's redistricting at the state level. Now let's talk about congressional level, okay? So um, Congress is, the Congress districts are redistricted by the state government as well. And let me see here, current congressional map. Let me show you the current one um, for Kentucky. And so this is drawn by the state government. And basically, we have six districts. Here we go. Let me see here. Let me share you guys this screen here. Um, I'm gonna share you guys so you can see the current maps as far as it goes. There we go. Okay. Uh, hopefully, you guys can see that. If you can't, let me know. Um, quickly, quickly tell me. So, here's the uh, maps here, and here's how they currently look. Now, if you look here, you'll see that um that we've got first we've got six districts right you'll see the first district um here it goes from fulton kind of wraps around and hugs the second district but stays kind of uh lower into the southern part of kentucky the fifth district so that's currently held by um gosh i'm gonna go crazy comer uh the fifth district uh is eastern kentucky that's held by hal rogers the second district held by brett guthrie uh, the sixth district that's held by Andy Barr, that's Fayette County, Franklin kind of area. The fourth district, that's Thomas Massey's district, that's more northern Kentucky uh, area. And then the third district, that's Yarmouth, who's retiring's district. And so what they have proposed, <laughs> what they have proposed um, is this one right here. Um, they have proposed a new districts that would look like this. So um, when you take a look at it here, okay, so the new districts, here we go. Not too much has changed with the 5th, the 6th, and 1st, and 2nd, and 4th have had a fair amount of change. So what they've done is is they've taken the 4th here and they've wrapped it on down a little bit. They've taken the 2nd district, which remember came all the way over to Fayette County and what they've done is in this new map is they're moving it all the way over. I believe that is Nelson County uh, is is kind of the first county, Bardstown area is the first uh, area of the second district. But now we have Frankfurt being represented by Comer in the first. We've got Fulton County, Kentucky, guys. That is that is you know as far west as you can go, far west, border to the Mississippi, being represented by the same congressman as frankfurt kentucky has as franklin county has that's crazy when you look at what the when you look at the old maps and you see that they don't necessarily have to cut it up this way why did they do this well part of the reason why they did this is they were trying to make the sixth district a little redder and by removing some of the democrat voters in frankfurt um they believe they're able to help do that but why didn't they just throw it into the fourth district and make it more compact? your guess is as good as mine. Maybe they thought that the that the second district could handle that sliver of Jefferson County that the fourth district had. I don't know. Now, congressional maps do have a requirement different than state maps, and they can only be off by plus or minus one person. So they have to be even, uh, evenly. I'm sorry. They have to be evenly distributed. Across um, all, um, I'm sorry, the population has to be perfectly distributed against all six districts. And it can only be plus or minus one person. So you're, you know, you get down to street level when you're starting to cut these things, right? Because you don't have that 5% variation you have at the state level. But those congressional maps, they're a little bit crazy. We'll see what ends up happening. I don't know. I mean, look, if I was Comer, I mean, that is hard. And not only that, but you got to think about equal representation here. When you're like four or five hours away, <laughs> When your district is five hours across, or I mean, what what is Frankfurt to Fulton? Is, is that's probably close to four or five hours? I don't know. I've never driven it, um, but let's say it's it's five hours across. Plus, you're spanning uh, two time zones. As far as that goes, it, it's um, it is rough. And how do you get equal representation? I mean, that's four hours, 16 minutes, sorry, from Frankfurt to Fulton. I mean, you know, that is a large amount of area. They're already spending a lot of time in D.C. How are they going to be servicing that district? I mean, they're going to be driving all over the place. That is crazy. But that is what they're doing with the congressional districts. And we'll see how this plays out with redistricting. We'll see if they get sued uh, in MAPS. And and it looks like this year they're doing them separate. So the house maps is a bill, the Senate maps are a bill, and the congressional maps are the bill. It is of my opinion that if one sued, it doesn't necessarily mean it holds up all of them. Um, it's it it doesn't necessarily mean that. What it means is is perhaps one passes, the other one goes through. That could be what occurs when it comes to districting. So there you go, redistricting, and those are bills, Senate Bill two and three, two is the Senate redistricting state senate. Senate Bill 3 is Congress's redistricting. And then House Bill 2 is the redistricting for the state house. Um, the house isn't where the bill for congressional redistricting is originating. So let's talk about a few bills and note. Basically, what I did is uh, I, I took a look at a couple of Senate bills, two Senate bills, and then the House bills. There's over 200 House bills um, filed, it looks like. So I just ran through the first 30 to mention things of note in there so as we dig into these bills feel free to go ahead and once again hit that share button and let people know as we start digging into these bills because these are important things to be watching out for so uh, we've got SB 13 that was put that's uh, McGarvey and and Senator Thomas and Senator McGarvey put that forward that is a minimum wage bill to raise the minimum wage in Kentucky, uh, I guess it would raise it to 15 an hour for large employers, 12 an hour for what's considered small employers. First off, having two different set minimum wages is really just bad news bears, in my opinion, because it's a good way to crush uh, the small businesses in such a way because it draws employees to working at large companies um, to a degree. I, and I, that seems like a weird thing. Now, one could argue, well, it helps small businesses because they don't have to pay their labor as much. But remember, labor is a market. And it's not exactly like we have a massive amount of labor on the market. We have a labor scarcity going through on our market right now that is already driving up uh, wages. And if anything, too, that proves that you know minimum wage laws don't have the desired outcome. One, the market itself, and when there's labor scarcity, that will drive up the wages on its own, but that labor scarcity, of course, is being created by the government artificially uh, in, in some decisions that they've made, and of course, some of these other things to do with the the diseases and stuff, but anyways... And so when you have that going on, it'll raise minimum wages already. But we're seeing that as wages raise, so does inflation. Because, of course, if everybody's making more money, nobody has more money. The cost of everything goes up. And I think the problem is, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, you do not want to make more money. You want to buy more things. You want to have more things. You want to own more things. You don't want to make more money. That's a very key difference to understand because you don't actually care if you're getting paid a dollar an hour if housing is only a 100 bucks, let's say, or that's really cheap. That'd be only a 100 hours of work to buy a house, but that would be nice, but that's not the expensive things. But anyways, you follow me here. It is not that you are being paid so little. You're being paid little in comparison to the cost of everything well what drives up the cost of everything is inflation and as we saw a major driver of inflation is labor shortages we're going through it right now and that is driving up the cost of labor which in turn causes inflation so if anything it's proving that raising minimum wage is not always a great call um, because it can specially raise wages and and it ends up you end up uh your money doesn't go as far your money does not go as far. And so you can't buy as many things. It doesn't matter if you get a raise or not. Once again, you want to buy more things. So that's a minimum wage SB 13, something to watch uh, if you're interested to watch it. Senate Bill 19 put forward by Senator Thomas. This is red light cameras, okay? So these are cameras that uh, if you run a red light or something like that, take your picture, okay? And here's the problem. First off, if you are a constitutionalist, I am, red light cameras are unconstitutional. And they're not exactly unconstitutional for any kind of evasion of privacy things or anything like that. First and foremost reason why they're unconstitutional is is you have a right to face your accusers, right? So when you're given a traffic ticket or a law now and you're being accused of a crime, you're being accused of that crime by a police officer. And that police officer has to come testify saying that they saw you committing that crime. That's how it works right now. Somebody has to go say they saw you committing the crime and present the evidence of it, right? Well, in this case, they're putting up red light cameras. The question is, are they constitutional in the sense that are you able to face your your um, accuser, right? Here's the other thing about red light cameras. That's a question about constitutionality. And also, too, as well, I don't like the idea of having a lot of access to being able to, quote-unquote, spy on citizens, right? It's not exactly like they've been... Uh, the government's real careful about that now, and and it might sound crazier far out there, but you know I think it is important to not create a state that has a lot of surveillance in it, because uh, that can certainly lead to tyranny. Now, additionally as well, when it comes to red light cameras, they actually create uh, more accidents than they prevent. Because when you have red light cameras, people are more cognizant about running red lights. What does that mean? Well, in some situations where they would have went on a yellow and would not have caused an immediate quick stop to traffic, uh, they now are going to quickly. Oh, I got to slam on my brakes. I don't want to grab a ticket instead of "Eh, I'll I'll risk it yellow to red because obviously I'm not going to get hit by anybody because they're not. It's not like I'm full on running a red. And at the same time, you know. I'm I'm able to make it. Well, that quick stop ends up creating more accidents. And so red light cameras actually do the exact opposite. They create more accidents, not less. And so their major lead, they turn into a, a revenue generator uh, for the city. And, you know... I, I'm iffy on that stuff. Now, granted, here in Lexington, we do have an issue of people full on just going on like lights will be red and people will be turning. I like you will sit there, especially Nicholasville Road at the wrong times of day. You'll be sitting there in traffic and the light will be red for a full. I don't mean you'll have a green light. Like it'll be a green light and you could start going and full on people are just still going on red it's the weirdest thing in the world and i understand that problem but that sounds like to me we need to look at um, whether it's enforcing our current traffic laws or what have you a little bit more i don't know if cameras would necessarily fix that issue without causing too much damage uh as well so there you go that's in the senate here's in the house okay so here's a couple house bills to watch hb2 of course that's redistricting. Uh, House Bill 14, that's going to be your CRT bill. Now, the bill does not say CRT anywhere in it. It bans the teaching of one race being superior to another or being naturally inferior to another. Now, for those of you that people want to sit there and say define CRT and all these other things, I'm going to define it for you. It's real easy. It's real quick, and I'll make it very, very simple. Make it very simple. Oh, somebody asked about traffic cameras being banned at the state level. Well, this is a state law to allow them, so that would overwrite that. It's a law change. Um, this was this is in the Senate. So, anyways, um, CRT. So, uh, critical race theory. So, a lot of people like to play this game of you know what is it, and uh, you can't define it. I, I'm I'm gonna try to break down CRT as basically as I can. Okay, essentially, if a outcome is racist. But the rule itself isn't racist. It's racist. Okay, follow me. Uh, here in Fayette County, we had this issue. This this CRT ish wrote um, article in the Herald Leader, I believe, about a year ago, that was talking about the issues at the the um, schools. And essentially, what they found was was that uh, minority children were being rode up more often or adversely greater affected outshining their their percentage of population of the schools uh, in late policies so basically the school's tardy policies were the outcome of it was affecting minorities more than white children now is that because the policy said if they're a minority you give them X trouble and if they're white you just say hey it's okay you have a good day now no That is not what the rule said. However, the outcome was was disparate based upon uh, race. So what that means to CRT is that the rule is already racist. It's considered racist for that reason. And so CRT teaches, and and, and that's where you get this idea that it is a, a bigotry of low expectations by basically saying, look, if a rule is you can't be late to school and it's evenly applied, but for some reason, minority children are being greater affected by it. That doesn't mean the rule's racist. It doesn't even mean anything racial at all. And to sit there and say, well, we need to now change the rules for the minorities so they're not getting punished as often is to say they cannot be held to the same standard as white people, which means that you're saying white people are essentially held to higher standards than black people be, and because white people are better. Like, it's the most racist ideology when you actually think about it. That idea that somehow white people being held to a higher standard is not racist is incredibly racist. It's awful. It's terrible. It's just as racist as when, you know, college admissions are looking at Asian children and expecting you got to do, I guess, so much more to get into Ivy League schools if you're Asian compared to your peers. Because and, and that is crazy that we're changing our standards based on race, and that's what this bill deals with in the schools, this teaching of this idea that individuals are somehow more capable or better because of their color of skin. It's horrible, and it's, it's awful racist behavior, and it's weird that you have these, these white liberals that are sitting there in favor of this kind of stuff and sit there and claim it's not racist, nothing's racist about it, and it's literally defining people only on one characteristic of them, the color of their skin, it's very racist. So that's HB14, that's essentially banning CRT. Of course, it won't say CRT. It'll talk about teaching one race inferior to another because you cannot, um, frankly, you can't trust them. You can't use a term like CRT, they'll just redefine it, or they'll bring in a new term like they've done with SEL, which is, what is that, social and emotional learning or or social and equitable learning i don't know what the east i think it's emotional learning and and they'll come across with that and now that's the same thing as this crt stuff this you know gender theory situation we got hb 17 that's term limits for um sorry i had to get a drink there um that is term limits for state level legislators it would limit people to four terms in the senate That'd be 16 years. And six terms in the House, that'd be 12 years. Now, term limits. Let's talk about that. When we talk about term limits, a lot of times people talk about the federal level term limits. Why? Well, federal level term limits are a little bit different. And it's a little bit different than state level. It is fairly easy for the people of Kentucky to unseat a state house or member even a state senate member it's fairly easy simply because um simply because the uh it, it's fairly easy because a house race a, a state house race primary you can run a competitive primary raising thirty forty thousand dollars right and they don't have a whole lot of apparatuses. They do have some party apparatus that'll help them if they're a huge party player. They do have some establishment help if they're a huge establishment player. They'll get that. They'll get some their buddies handing them money and things like that. But limiting them to term limits just means that they'll move on to a different office seat, and then they'll just pick somebody else uh, in order to get them to uh, go through it. And so that's quite wrong. And uh, I'm sorry, that's not that's not quite wrong. Sorry. That doesn't accomplish what we want of just picking somebody else. And at the end of the day, when it's a $40,000 primary to be competitive, a, a strong candidate can easily kind of raise that and easily run on that. If they're willing to do the work. It, they, you can be competitive at 20,000 raised in a, in a state house primary In a Senate primary. It's a little bit more expensive. The state Senate, you're talking 40, 50 K at least to run a competitive campaign. And some it's even more, you know, my primary for an example, we're right at, um, we're right at 80K raised, and we will probably need to raise at least in our 30 or 40 more just because it's where it's at. It's an open seat, the amount of people in it. There's some different aspects to it, certainly. Um, but that is, you know, when you look at term limits in that way. Now, when we look at at the, at the state level, it's a little bit easier just to remove them. It's Simply put, it's easier to remove them. And at the end of the day, if you do have a good legislator, do you want them forced out and replaced with a bad legislator? Not necessarily. But when you talk about the federal level, that's a whole different story because those are million-dollar races. And more importantly, and this is the part that really gets them, is they have something called constituent services. So every congressman, every senator has constituent services. These are staff being paid by the federal government to represent their boss, the elected representative, in the community, in the area, to the party, to the people, to the voters. And it's almost like a government-funded uh, campaigning force. And you have these people out there pushing you out there. You got your name ID up there, all these other things. In order to take on a, a sitting congressperson, you either going to have a lot of name ID or a lot of money and preferably both because it's millions of dollars. And they already have all this staff sitting there ready to, that's been helping them out. And of course they're doing the bidding of the federal, of of these big corporations too more so than at the state level. And so they're gonna be more than willing to pour tons of money into those. So, you know, term limits at the federal level, way more in support of, I'm not saying I'm not in support of term limits at the state level either. I'm just saying when we talk about term limits, let's understand the reason why we want them is because the apparatuses that keep corrupt people like Mitch McConnell in office forever, what causes that to happen? And we say, well, if we had term limit, that push them out. That would be true. And it's hard to. And the reason why McConnell can hold on and not lose in a primary is because he's got all this corporate dollars that come in. Then we as voters don't show up and vote, and we don't do our own research, so we're easily bought off with ads and commercials. So kind of in a way, term limits they can be limited to one term. It just takes us, the voters, paying attention and knowing who we want and don't want to represent us. Uh, House Bill 21 that would ban government uh, passports, the government requiring um, services in order to get services uh, or to be inside a space, like to come in and get your driver's license or to get Medicare, Medicaid, those kinds of things that's administered by the state um, in order to food stamps, in order to get those services or anything like that unemployment, you do not have to be um, have have the have the uh, the thing, you know, the thing. I can't say the word. I'm live on Facebook. If I say the word, they downgrade me. So I'm not going to say I'm going to call it the thing. If you've had the thing, uh, this this would ban the government from denying you services because of the thing. I'm more than in favor of that. Everybody pays taxes. Uh, everybody should have equal access to the services provided by the government that they qualify for under current laws. Uh, HB 23. Um, that is House Bill 23. That would be no... Uh, um, transgender individual uh, in sports. So no uh, transgender women playing in women's sports, no transgender men playing in men's sports. So that crossover doesn't often happen. It's normally transgender women playing in women's sports. That's the issue. And look, we see this all over, right? We see the swimmer up and pin That's winning left and right, swimming hard core. And, and I get it. It's a sensitive issue. It's a difficult issue. But at the end of the day, you know, the whole reason why we separated the sports out by gender is because of competitive level, the, their ability to compete fairly on an even playing field. And at the end of the day, a top-of-the-line woman athlete most of the time cannot compete with a top-of-the-line male athlete. I mean, it slightly depends on, you know, the sport. I think gymnastics, for example, is maybe a sport where men and women have some good and equal competition, or perhaps even women might even have uh, uh, an increased ability to win just because they're naturally probably more graceful. Um, but when you look at uh, some of these other sports, take tennis for an example. There's this famous thing where the 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 Williams sisters said they could take on any pro male tennis player that was ranked 200 or under. This guy was like ranked 205. He barely practiced. He like smoked. He drank. He walked onto the court and he destroyed both of them. And so it, it after he played a few, I think a few rounds of golf too. And so the point of that saying that it's just it's not fair. It's a different competitive level. And I get it. I get, you know, you transition, you're, you're supposedly a woman now. You used to be a guy, but now you're a woman supposedly. And that's what you're claiming. And I get that. I understand where you're coming from on your claims. Uh, I don't understand where you're coming from, but I understand that's your claim. But the issue is here is it's about having a competitive field where a person doesn't have a natural advantage. Um, that is is not just, you know, born a little bit different, but, you know, a massive difference. Um, House Bill 27. That's actually put forward by Uh, Attica Scott, and it's one bill she put forward I would agree with. And what it does is it provides uh, female hygiene products to be tax exempt. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with with something like that being tax exempt from sales tax. It is a necessity. You know, you go out, you can buy a bottle of water, you can buy certain food items and things like that, and they're tax exempt because they're necessary to live. female hygiene products are necessary for women. It's, it's a natural kind of part of something they deal with. I, I, I'm fine with that being tax exempt. Plus, you know, though I am not, well, I guess I'm kind of affected because I'm married and we share an account. So, you know, my wife buys, I'm sure feminine products. Um, but anyways, but, um, (laughs) though I am not directly affected by anything there, uh, myself, I can still sit there and say, Hey, This person shouldn't have to pay tax on these items. And also, too, as well, any opportunity I have for the government to not pull more money from somebody, I am on board. Count me in. Anytime we have the opportunity to cut taxes for anyone, I don't care if I benefit from it or not, I'm on board. I don't play this game of looking in my pot, looking in your pot. If you're getting unfairly taxed, I, I believe everybody's getting unfairly taxed at this point. And if I can relieve your tax burden then I should relieve your tax burden. Why does it matter that it doesn't affect me as long as we're relieving tax burdens and the government's making less money so we can maybe force it to shrink? Um, House Bill 28, uh, that was the old BR-106 that bans uh, mandates, um, specifically employer mandates. And look, there's a lot of discussion about this, right? Are we telling private businesses what to do? And, And I say this time and time again, The problem is, is we have so much regulation. We have built up over time, and we have so much of of this weird kind of regulatory body. And the Republicans have had control now for a little while, and they haven't rolled back any of it. And actors like Bashir and Stack and, of course, Joe Biden at the federal level are using these things like licensure and things like that to get mandates put in place that they can't get in themselves. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, in this state, we have certificate of need laws that require a hospital to ask permission from the state government before they're allowed to uh, buy a bunch of equipment, uh, build another place, add on beds, those kinds of things. And there was a hospital out in Georgetown that was advertising that they were not mandating to their nurses in order to help encourage their nurses. And the word is, Dr. Stack called them right on up. This is what I was told by several legislators. So they are aware this occurred. Everybody's aware this happened. They called them on up and they said, stop advertising. You're not mandating it or you're going to have some trouble. They don't even have to tell them exactly what the threat is. It's implied. The government regulates them so much that they're just going to do what the government says. They have more incentive to listen to the government than they do the customer. It's a point case reason. There's not a free market reason to put in place a mandate. It does not exist. It doesn't happen. I wrote a whole article about it. Feel free to go to my website, andrew4ky.com, and you can read this article about it. I'm telling you, there's no free market reason why. And so for that reason, we have to stop it. And it's, it's really difficult to roll back all this regulation that has amassed over the decades that are now being grabbed and used uh, wrongly. And so that leaves us really only one option to take care of it because people are losing their jobs now. People are being fired now. People are being forced and coerced into making a medical decision they don't want to make now, not in a couple decades, now. And it's wrong now. And then also too as well, let's say we do roll all that back and let's say we do have it set up there and a person still at this point, they could be thinking about putting in mandates because they're working on the wrong information because we've had so much, one, censorship from the government on these things. And two, the message have changed so many times. And, and that's part of it, too, is just there's there's so much to do. It's been so over-politicized and sitting there and forcing people to make lifelong medical decisions over an extremely politicized issue it, it, because an employer doesn't understand what they're doing or they're being forced to do it. But it's just all wrong. It's completely wrong. That's why we got to pass something like uh, HB twenty eight, and that is a bill to end uh, employer um, mandates in order to to be able to work. And it certainly ends it for the state, and it ends it for people who are heavily government uh, funded uh, in there. House Bill um, twenty nine. And look, you know, if you guys are welcome to talk to me about HB twenty eight more, we have a hotline set up for it. it's a big push for us. It's it, and the reason why is because it's something that I live in the real world. I live in the real world, not a fake world. And I love all these new cons- these these new conservatives that have been in office forever. Republicans that are suddenly now conservative, that have decided that well we don't want to be telling private employers what to do. And and one of them said that to me. Two of them said that to me. And I asked them, would you be in favor of ending certificate of need laws, the laws I talked about that affect those hospitals? A lot of states don't have them. Would you pass a law that just bans them completely and removes them? And two people who had trotted out, two legislators, one one house rep, one senator, that trotted out this line about, well, we don't want to tell private employers what to do, say, no, I wouldn't pass that law him and haw about it i don't know what the law says i don't know what the bills say whatever the answer is yes i would pass a law that just straight up cleanly ended certificate of need law that's a correct answer if you're going to stand by this idea that we don't want to tell private employers what to do because certificate of need laws tell private hospitals what to do but of course that's not actually a principle they have they're just taking a stand against this because the giant corporations don't want it because they like the federal dollars they're getting in and they don't want to be stuck between the state and the federal government, and they like this nice federal money they're getting in they like it for mandating it and so it's just it's bad news bears all around uh house bill twenty um let's see sorry guys uh house bill twenty nine is um We'll return to that one here in a second. House Bill 30, that's just a little cottage industry bill. Uh, Basically, there's a cottage industry rules that say that um, individual preparers like in your home can make and produce or or whatever, a certain small amount of anything. And what that ends up doing, so they've added coffee and tea. They want to add coffee and tea to that. Basically, right now, if you're a coffee roaster, you have to roast in, in coffee, so that's why I even care about this bill. Most people probably won't care about it. But if you're a coffee roaster, you have to have a three-compartment sink right now to roast coffee. And this would allow you to kind of do – as long as it's in your home, uh, you, you aren't quite regulated in the same way. And I think that's possible. Finally, House Bill Twenty Nine. This is a sanctuary state legislation. So this would nullify any federal gun laws that come down. So any federal gun laws that come down, this would step in there, and this would say it's immediately nullified. It's not happening. And, I, you know, I'm in big support of that. I'm big, uh, make Kentucky a sanctuary state. Protect us from the federal government gun laws. I think that's important, too, as well. So, guys, we have that. Now, throughout this session, I want you to be paying attention, following uh, Brood. You can follow my campaign page. That's ScoopRider for Kentucky. Um, You can sign up for our email list if you go to andrew4ky.com. We can sign you up for an email list, and we will um, start pretty much adding you guys uh, onto it, um, onto that email list and getting our alerts out there and letting you know, you know, kind of what's up and and what's everything that's floating around out there. Um, We do have a hotline set up if you want to share right now. Our big advocacy push, like I said, is on what is now House Bill 28, that's BR-106. I think, though, there's a hotline. I'm sorry, we don't have it set up. There's a hotline, though, that's set up that you can call and it will walk a person through how to call their legislators. That can be a little nervous for a lot of people. They're worried about calling their legislators. They don't know what to say. So this walks you through it and then connects you to it. I believe right now it still says BR-106. I'm sure it's going to be changed to say House Bill 28 because it just got its bill number like this morning. Um, but that phone number is 502-305-8844. Once again, that's 502 502- 305, sorry, I'm typing it in to the comments here, 8844. And so you can call that number, and it will uh, immediately, um, it'll give you like a prompt. It'll tell you what to say before you connect to the legislators, and then it'll go ahead and uh, connect you to the message hotline so you can leave your message. It makes activism easy. It's fun. It's great. You can share that out with people easily and walk them through it. So, if anybody has any other questions for me, feel free. You can email me at uh, Andrew at Cooperwriter4Kentucky or sorry Cooperwriter4ky.com. You can go on our website, join our email list, and I look forward to hearing from you guys. And thank you guys for joining me. And please share this out. Keep people informed.